0: Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. The 9th Annual Online ADHD Awareness Expo will take place throughout the month of October, and I'll be a part of it. My topic is three ways to communicate with your ADHD child, besides talking. Register at www.adhdexpo.com ADHDessentials to let them know I sent you. That's www.adhdexpo.com slash ADHD The link is in the show notes. This is episode 38. In today's episode, we're talking to Adam Wilson. I met Adam at ComerCon, an event he developed to help kids with sensory needs experience the thrill of a comic book convention without the overwhelm. See, Adam's son is on the spectrum. So at its core, CalmerCon is a mission of love for him. And yes, I realize this show is supposed to be about ADHD, but I tend to think of autism as sort of a cousin to ADHD. And many of the challenges are similar, not to mention Adam's story is so good that I just had to have him on to share it with you. I'm sure you'll get something out of it. In today's episode, we'll look at the struggles of parents who have kids that can be overwhelmed by sensory input, discuss the importance of acceptance, and maybe, just maybe, find the inspiration to do something big. All right, let's get rolling.
1: My son Logan is on the spectrum. He's got a pervasive developmental delay. And he also has a lot of anxiety that goes along with that. It's been an interesting journey for me. I kind of, you know, I kind of grew up with comic books and movies and sci-fi and stuff like that. But I also liked sports and outdoor activities. I grew up in Maine where you climb a mountain every day on your way to school, and then you roll (laughs) back down on the way home, apparently (laughs) both ways uphill. So. I found, you know, as he got a little bit older, he just wasn't engaging in a lot of activities. You know, it, there's, there's all these things for um, special needs kids now, these sports leagues and, and things of that nature. And I was having a hard time finding things that he was interested in. And so I went back to, we both have this shared love of like cartoons you know, uh, Pixar movies, particularly, you know, things like Toy Story and Incredibles and things like that, that we had to find ways to connect with one another. As I looked around, and I'm seeing all these things that you know, sports, uh, horseback riding, things like this for kids on the spectrum, I wasn't seeing a lot of stuff kind of around the interest of, you know, what we shared. Uh, I tried taking him to smaller comic book conventions, even going to like one of the bigger comic stores like if it was really busy in there, we'd have to turn around and leave because he couldn't handle you know the sensory overload of it all. That's kind of where the idea started to percolate for me uh, that I might want to do some kind of comic event, you know comic book event that was you know sensory appropriate for people that have the same kind of issues that he does
0: that sensory side matters even to folks with ADhD My son, I've identical twin sons, um one of them has It's not a sensory processing disorder, but he does get overwhelmed by loudness. Not loud noises, but just loud and intense sensory situation. Like, we didn't go to the movies with him probably until he turned six or seven. The first movie we went to was a nightmare. We went to, like, see Mr. Peabody and Sherman.
2: Oh geez! And I
0: yeah. sat there for a half an hour, and he had to leave. And my dad, luckily, was there with me, so he hung out with my other son and watched the rest of the movie. And my sensory kid and I just hung out in the lobby of a movie theater for like an hour and a half, because we only took one car. I eventually figured out that, luckily, and this isn't going to work for everybody, but we happened to have a drive-in movie theater not too far from us. Like, we got to see Avengers 2... In the movie theaters, just by going to the drive-in, it meant we were up really late. But yeah, the drive-in, you control the volume, right? Because you can turn it up or turn it down in your car. And that was sort of our cheat. Now we can go, for the most part, we have started to bring earplugs um, and we skip the previews because they're always louder than the movie itself and that kind of stuff. But I, so I hear you and I'm sure there's plenty of people in the audience right now going, wow, yeah, sensory stuff. Or I never thought of that as a reason that my kid might struggle in certain situations that it might be sensory. So that's another reason I'm really happy, happy to have you on is just to bring up this side of ADHD.
1: Right. And I mean, that that's kind of the side of autism too, that I'm addressing is that, you know, people think about, you know, oh, it's like fireworks or something is the, it would set a kid off because it's so loud all at once. But for my son as well, it's, if you get the volume to a certain level and it stays constant, that bothers him almost more than a quick sharp noise. Um, Because he's having a hard time differentiating the other noises, the other sounds that he might be trying to listen to. For him, like we had to start allowing him to bring his tablet. Uh, It it has been a struggle at times. Uh, We almost got kicked out of a theater watching solo because he had his tablet. And the people that were sitting behind us went and complained to management that the light from the tablet was bothering them. Mm -hmm. Um, Rather than you know, just tapping me on the shoulder and saying, "Hey, this—you know—this tablet is bothering me. Could you have him turn it, you know, shut it off or whatever? At least ask us, you know, if we could take care of it." Unfortunately, these these poor—you know—two teenagers had to come and pull me aside and say, "Yeah, we're gonna—we might have to kick you out of the theater uh, until I, you know, explain." I'm like, "Well, my son's on the spectrum and he needs this to survive in this theater to watch this movie. Um, you know, he needs to have the constant noise in the background that he's controlling." so that he can pay attention to the film, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and and then of course their faces got very like, Oh, you know, and they were, Oh, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. I'm like, no, I, I'm not upset with you. I'm, I'm a little perturbed that the person behind me couldn't speak to me directly about it so that I might just be able to to nip it in the bud, you know, and Mm -hmm. get him to just tilt his tablet down. So it wouldn't bother anybody or set it aside and just listen to the audio of what he was, what he had on there. So this kind of thing, uh, you know, I've been dealing with that sort of stuff, you know, since he was pretty much old enough to explain that he was having issues or to voice his objection to that kind of stuff. Before that, it would just turn into a meltdown. Like I didn't get any warning. Mm -hmm. You know, we could be in a perfectly quiet space and, you know, a lady could walk through with a particular, you know, with like a very strong perfume on Mm -hmm. and he would melt down people say, th- just think it's, you know, certain things, but all of your senses can cause you to get overwhelmed, especially for kids that deal with that kind of stuff. Right. You know, so, so my biggest, you know, kind of shift in thought as far as all that went was as I started to plan and I started to talk to a lot of um, I, I really could have used your help when I was getting this, this whole thing started. Because well, there's I,
0: another one coming. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, definitely. And yeah. and, and you know, and I always try to, you know, I'll ask you a bunch of questions when we're done recording this because I'm always trying to talk to people in the know to make the, you know, to make things better and easier because I want it to be the best experience that we can have for the kids. But it just talking to a lot of experts about something I had never thought of was that we have this other senses, like you have a sense of space around you. You know, some people are like, oh, you're in my personal space. That's actually a thing. Like we have, we have a perception of what's around us, and for kids with, you know, kids with sensory issues, I don't, uh, I don't try not to classify like who's has a, you know, sensory processing disorder. To me, it's just if something causes an anxiety because of one of your senses, then you know that's a, that's what should be addressed. Not, you know, I don't worry about the naming of what it is or any of that kind of stuff. I'm just I'm trying to keep things as sensory neutral as possible.
0: At the convention. To pull out real quick, right? Yep. For the audience who might be going, what? Who might feel a little lost at the moment? Because we haven't actually talked about what Comic-Con is.
1: Uh, fair enough. In the big yeah.
0: picture. So why don't we do that? And then we'll go back into some of the other things that you, some of the problem solving and just how you built it. Because it's incredibly impressive that you made this happen.
1: I guess to start explaining what Comic-Con is, I guess I should probably explain like what a what a typical comic convention is like. A regular comic convention is you... Um, you go in basically like a big hall or in a hotel somewhere or in a big conference center, and there's a lot of tables set up and you have uh artists, people selling things like comic books, of course. You know, you have big long boxes full of comics mm-hmm. that people can leaf through. Um it, it's you know, it's like a it's like a comic book store, you know, times a hundred. It's just anything that you could want um, you know, to to purchase. Uh some of the bigger ones have turned more into like a media expo type of deal where famous people will come in. You can buy autographs and you can pay to spend time with them and all the good kind of stuff that, you know, some of us Uber nerds like to do. (laughs) The other thing you think of with a comic book convention is like a sardine can, because that's typically what they are. It's just a big bull rush of people trying to get the cool things that they want to get.
0: It's like in a ballroom. Like it's just one big room with tables very narrow sort of corridors between the tables, and the tables are all covered in toys and comic books and paraphernalia.
1: Whoever's running this event, they're charging for those table spaces, so they're trying to cram as many you know sellable spaces as they can uh, into that area, so that's you know why they're so crowded and as you say, it can be anything from a large gymnasium to a you know a conference center uh in a hotel, and these are typically also very loud echoey spaces. So you're kind of getting bombarded with sound
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um, from every direction. And also, you know, that perceptive sense that you have of other people being around you, you just feel crowded the whole time. even if you don't have any kind of sensory issues, it does wear on you (laughs) being at one of those conventions. So I wanted to try to create something where we could have an authentic experience and you know, make it as sensory neutral as possible, make it as sensory, you know, appropriate as we possibly could. So that's kind of where you know the idea came from. So in order to start doing that, the first thing I did was talk to people who run Comic Cons. Because I kind of wanted to see how that I needed to know that process. If I was going to make something that was still authentic, I needed to know kind of how about how they went about their business. Uh so I started there. Um, luckily, we actually have some great local cons that run. And uh, I hooked up with a couple of people who run something called Plastic City Comic-Con. Uh, happens in the Leominster-Fitchburg area every year. And they were just amazing. Like, it cost me a Chinese food dinner to get pretty much Comic-Con 101 out of them. <laughs> it like, was super nice. Like, took went out for Chinese food. A couple of hours, they gave me pretty much everything I needed to know. About you know running that that size of a comic con, and then I went and talked to special ed teachers, um, and also uh, people who are you know the specialists that like if you have a special needs kid, you know those folks, the paraprofessionals that work with your kids at school, uh, just a wealth of information because a lot of them bounce around from kid to kid. They don't necessarily stay with one kid through their whole yep. maturation process. And they've been in several different grades generally. I mean, they, they're they're freelance workers, so on one side they have to sweat their job, unfortunately, every year at the end of the school year whether they're going to be asked back. But at the other side of that is they've worked with different age groups and kids with different you know needs. I got so much good information from those folks.
0: And the fact that you went to them, the paraprofessionals or teacher aides is another term that might be used. Yep. That's awesome because special ed teachers have advanced degrees in special education and are looking at that every day all the time. But they have a little bit of a higher view of what's going on with these kids. The paraprofessionals are your boots on the ground support. Right. And it's just a different perspective. So it's really awesome that you went to both, that you went to that sort of higher view special education teacher, but you also thought to talk to the paraprofessionals because one, they don't get enough credit. Because what they do is so valuable and so important, and it's not always noticed. People don't always realize how valuable they are. So I just want to give you kudos for for heading to that them as a resource.
1: You know, the other part of that was it's kind of how I came to the idea that I needed to kind of move away from just calling it, calling these things like autism, you know, just for kids with autism, because there's so many other folks that have sensory issues. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, it comes down to the idea of anxiety. My son's issues are, if he gets overstimulated, his anxiety kicks in. If his anxiety kicks in, he doesn't make rational choices. If he doesn't make rational choices, then we, we get to meltdowns really quickly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> because we don't. he doesn't ask for what he needs when he's in that state. He doesn't say, hey, I need to get out of this space because this is bothering me, that is bothering me it just goes straight to inconsolable um, mm-hmm. in this case. I mean, there's a there's a whole world of different types of meltdowns that happen. Right. You know, with-
0: sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's sadness. It's that yeah. fight, flight or freeze response.
1: Yeah. It can be, it could just as a whole, there's just a whole world of, um, you know, different things. And luckily, you know, we don't have to deal with any kind of violence because my son is a, he's a bit of a little Hulk. So <laughs> he's just a giant, giant, thankfully. So we don't have to worry about that kind of stuff, but, it's kind of how, even before I got to the actual Comic-Con, I started to kind of shift my messaging because I I wanted to be more inclusive. And I, I, like you say, you, you might've noticed um, at the con itself, we did have some ADHD kids and parents that were there because people, people messaged me and they asked me, they're like, is this just for kids with autism? And I'm like, if your child has a problem and they're into this stuff, first of all, that was my first thing. Like if they're into this kind of stuff, if they love superheroes and star Wars and, and all that kind of stuff and they have an issue being able to do this kind of thing because of sensory issues come, right? I'm not, I'm not worried about taking, you know, I, I didn't have a, you know, a, a diagnosis chart at the door and you have to point <laughs> at something before. in. I want to service anybody that needs, needs it. Um, You know, and to be honest, um, I didn't think I was going to get the response that I got to the whole thing. To Mm -hmm. be fair, I was expecting like I'll get 100 to 150 people, and that on one, you know, that's great because it keeps it sensory friendly, right? Pretty naturally, if you don't have a ton of people show up. And I decided, I guess, about a month before the con, I better do some kind of online registration just so I have proper staffing levels. Yep. Uh, Within a week, I had to shut registration down because I got close to 500 Wow, that were going to come. And I'm like, uh, okay, this is three times what I thought. If we go any further, I can't keep it sensory appropriate in the Mm -hmm. space that we had. And I mean, and you were there. So you, you kind of got to look at, it it was a really good space for what we had.
0: It was. Yeah. You, it wasn't one big gymnasium or ballroom. It was a whole bunch of rooms. Yep. Um, I believe it was in a renovated church. Is that what the building was or a renovated school?
1: Yeah. It used to be an elementary school, um, that was renovated into a church. Okay. So kind of the the other, so it, it had elementary school size classrooms. Right. Uh, there, but also, um, we still had what was the gymnasium at one time. that's the auditorium there now for things like, I, I also wanted to, you know, I want to have things that you don't, Typically, see at um comic cons which is the two things we had we had a superhero training mm-hmm. and we had uh star wars like lightsaber training yeah um and
0: that but- was awesome by the way like it that was such a cool component of the con i mean admittedly i didn't do it because i was standing behind a table the whole time but i saw kids come back with these smiles on their faces and talking about the Jedi stuff and the star and the superhero stuff. And I, at least one dad talked to me about how he can't get his son to hold a bat, but he was using the lightsaber in a way that was similar to playing baseball. Right. And that, that had a lot of meaning for the dad because it was like a bridge for him.
1: Uh, Yeah. I think I talked to that father as well. Um, I suggested that he get some uh, glow in the dark paint and paint the end of the bat like a lightsaber and go out there at dusk. (laughs) and tell the kid it's a lightsaber and let him whack at balls with it. If he really, it it might be a a little gateway for him there uh, to do that, you know, because the other part of this that was really important to me was to have something that families could do together. You know, one thing about a lot of programs for kids with needs is that they are kind of set up like a daycare system where you drop your kid off and there's a lot of great professionals there to help your kid while they're there to go through the activities and stuff. Um, But the parents are just kind of like, They're either sit in a waiting room and wait or they go out into their lives for a couple of hours and do the things they need to do, which is, you know, sometimes that's great. Sometimes that's what you need, Mm -hmm. but there's not a lot of things where, um, the families can do things together. And the greatest thing for me of the whole thing was just seeing parents smiling all day. Like just so many smiling parent faces because it, you know, as well as I do, it's not always a joy.
2: (laughs) Right. It,
1: it, it's a wonderful experience to have a needs kid. It it grounds you to the world in a way that I never would have been otherwise, but it can be very stressful and it can be very tiring. And just to have shared moments of joy like that are kind of really precious. And that's a lot of what I wanted to do with this as well was to make, you know, make it a family event. Um, Cause I know there are parents that are like me that have had to use these types of things to connect with their kids because The things that they had to connect with their parents um their kids just aren't into it or aren't they're just not geared that way
0: and i want to throw something out the listeners real quick which is that um if any of you are listening to this and going that's a really great idea maybe i'll consider doing that contact adam and let him know you're doing it because adam built the thing that he wanted like he wanted a con to go and get to take his kid to But in being the guy who built it, he doesn't get to go to that con because he's running that con. (laughs) So if you're on the East Coast and you want to set up your own con, I'm sure Adam will happily give you tips on how to do it. And then you can make a con that he can go to (laughs) because (laughs) that's one of the challenges of being the special needs parent, right? Is how do you take care of yourself?
1: To be really honest about it, um, just doing this, running this nonprofit has been you know, a godsend for us as a family, it allows me to focus on the positivity of all this stuff. Like I, because I have this relationship with my son, because I've had to adjust my thinking. um, I've come to this, you know, what I feel is kind of like a calling for me, which is just create things for families that we didn't have when Logan was younger. I mean, he's, he's 15. Now we're going to be getting into that transitioning into adult phase, you know, that is scary and different. But, you know, my hope is that through compassion, um, you know, there'll always be something for Logan to help me with, with that. I mean, he's, he's smart, he's creative, you know, he can mimic anything like he, he can, you ask him to do any, if, as long as he's not overstimulated or overly anxious, he can just, you know, he can go from SpongeBob to the Hulk to Wolverine to, you know, just Batman, just any of those things. Or he can, uh. He can just start making the noise of any animal. <laughs> He's wow, just, he loves animals. Yeah, we went to, we went to the zoo. I think it's Franklin Park Zoo in Boston, and he loves the gorillas there. He loves gorillas, and he'll just sit there by the glass and watch them all day. Mm-hmm. Across from their enclosure, there's an ocelot cage, and is for anyone who doesn't know, ocelot's like one of the smaller of the big cats. Looks like a kind of like a small jaguar. So, the ocelot's sitting up there chilling in his cave. He doesn't want anything. It's the daytime. He doesn't want to deal with anybody, and so people kept coming up disappointedly to the thing, like, "Oh, the ocelot's just sitting there." Logan just on his own walks over there, starts making ocelot noises, and you know, <laughs> doing the growling like an ocelot. The ocelot pops his head up and comes like over and like stares like eye to eye with Logan, you know, from <laughs> the top of a rock. And Logan just keeps making the noise, and they start like kind of growling at each other. It was amazing. You know, I can't do that.
0: Um, (laughs) That's awesome.
1: So it's just, um, I'm hopeful that also through this, that this becomes like a lifelong thing that he and I will share. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Uh, He can help me with in different ways with this stuff.
0: Now, just because you mentioned it, Calm Passion is the nonprofit and Calm or Con is the con. Am I understanding that correctly? Okay.
1: Yep. Uh, You know, it's it's all wordplay. I, I was trying to come up with this idea and I just did a bunch of like, you know, I did like a, a one person whiteboarding session. I start writing stuff down. Um, we all do it when we're starting, you know, a small business of any kind. You kind of like, how do I encapsulate what it is that I am? You know, Right. how do I, how do I fit into a box? Um, and compassion, the word compassion just kept popping up and popping up. And I'm like, what if you're passionate about keeping things calm? And then <laughs> I was just like. It it's the one thing that most people comment to me on when, when I start talking about this. They're like, Compassion. Oh, that's a good name. That's a, that kind of says what you are. I'm like, yeah. it kinda does. Yeah. Just kind of lucked into it, you know, just, just doing one of those things. So, you know, and then of course CommerCon sounds somewhat similar to Comic Con. You know, and then from there it was just everything else that went with it. It was uh on a quick side note, it's interesting to me you know, as I've gone through this, there's the autism families and we have special needs families that I, that I service. There's a growing population of like young adults that are coming out of college that found out a little, maybe later on that they were autistic Mm -hmm. or they were, you know, diagnosed when they were younger. And they're, they're really, it's, it's kind of a neat experience. They're very vocal about their opinions. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've literally had, you know, people that have uh, threatened to, you know, we're going to tell people never to go to your things because your logo looks too much like this logo for another organization or something like that. And it's, it's been kind of a tap dance for me to try to, you know, uh, stay in my lane and keep everybody happy. I know it seems kind of strange, right? But it it is, but who
0: cares what your logo looks like?
1: Hopefully you don't go through this in your part of the world, but in, in the autism world we have a large organization that does walks and things like that. Uh-huh. And they're considered to be a political entity, not a service entity. Okay. Yep. And they, they engender particular opinions of themselves and some people thought that my original logo was a little too close to theirs mm-hmm. and that I was kind of in, you know, in league with them. Uh, autism Speaks is what I'm talking about. I'm not. I don't mean to be like cryptic. Yeah, about
0: no, it. I get you. I know about the politics around Autism Speaks.
1: So, um, you know, I, I've even had to do things like change my logo up a little bit. I I, I made the color a little less blue, <laughs> and I made a little less puzzle PC. But at, at the same time, you know, for for the people that I'm trying to service, I also need my logo to for people to look at and go, okay, this is an autism organization, right? On some level. So it's got to be recognizable. But I'm not. I'm not trying to steal somebody's copyrighted shape or I'm not affiliated with anybody else. So, you know, that's, that's been kind of an interesting thing about this whole deal.
0: Once you talk to the, the other people who organize comic book conventions and you've spoken to the special education teachers, you've spoken to the, the boots on the ground Mm. teaching assistants then what? Like, how do you how do you build your team? How do you get money for this kind of an endeavor? How do you figure out where to put it? Those, like, how does
1: all that work? The next step after I figured out a name and and started to get my you know my logo and my marketing type stuff together, how I was going to sell this thing. Uh, my very next step was to contact some of the smartest and most caring people that I know to ask them to help me out. I, I wanted to put a, well, because I had to, um, I had to incorporate first before I could go for nonprofit uh, status in incorporating. I had to, have, I wanted to put together my board of directors. And so I reached out to people from different, you know, that have different backgrounds. You know, I wanted some people that have kids, some people that don't have kids because I don't want to just be gearing stuff, you know, looking at it from a singular perspective.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I also, tried to get folks that might be a little bit more practical than I am. You know, I'm kind of the idea person. I wanted people that would hold me accountable and make sure that I was staying on track because mm-hmm. I have a hard time doing that sometimes. I'm My <laughs> mind is going and I just want it to all be awesome and we'll just do the awesome. But You're
0: on the right podcast if that's your challenge.
1: <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> um, I, I just had to find people to kind of keep me reined in and also fill in the gaps where I have deficiencies. And so I did that. I put together a great team, got incorporated, went for nonprofit status. As I was going through that process, I found out that if you're going to start a smaller nonprofit these days, there's a different process you can go through. There's kind of the IRS, and this is all a tax thing. Uh, this designation is all about taxes. So you go through the IRS to do it. Mm-hmm. I found out that there's a like a short form if you're if you're going to stay under like say i think it's $50,000 if you're not going to make as an organization $50,000 in a year you can do the short form which is like a six page thing and it's a lot the approval rates a lot you know quicker the approvals a lot faster because they're not checking a history of financials if you're going to be making a lot of money they want to make sure you haven't tried to do this before and you're screwing people over and um, and that came pretty quickly. Uh, it was in, within two and a half months, I, was, I went from the idea to being a 501c3 organization with a board and ready to roll at the very beginning. I kind of got a prelim- uh, preliminary budget together after talking to the, the Comic-Con people. You know, I was looking at trying to get around $10,000 as, as my start to get from start to finish all the materials and everything I needed for a first Comic-Con. Initially, I was like, in a year, like in a year, I'll run the first Mm -hmm. Comic-Con. So I started a GoFundMe and I got a little under half of what I needed that way. And did some some of the the Facebook kind of, hey, it's my birthday. Please give to my nonprofit. Right. And then, you know, the other half of the money basically came from me going into storage and pulling out all the nerd stuff I'd collected in my life up to this (laughs) point. I don't want to say I cried, but I did. I cried a little bit with some of it, but you have to give up something to get something usually in this life. It's, it's not, there's no free rides. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of comic books, a lot of action figures, a lot of, oh, the Star Wars stuff hurt a lot. (laughs) A nice original, uh, you know, Han Solo from like, you know the late '70s, like the first movie, hand Solo oh. blaster with the pew pew. And the, that hurts just to hear, let alone to do. It, believe me, it was a lot less painful than when I came back for Christmas break, uh, my first um, my first year of college, and my mom had given away most of my stuff that oh. I had collected. You know, yeah, comic books, transform all oh, the Transformers. It's so many wonderful, <laughs> wonderful Transformers. Uh, I'm in my late '40s, so I, I, that's kind of my wheelhouse. That early '80s yep. stuff. Uh, but you know, just like for a point of reference that people will understand in this day and age, like I had both of my first two runs of, um, like the infinity gauntlet saga Mm -hmm. and it was just gone. Like I had them beautiful. Like I didn't really bag and board much because I was a reader. So I just read everything. I came back and they were just gone. And I'm like, I was very sad. it was a little bit like reliving that <laughs> only this time I kind of saw what it was going towards. Yeah. Like I was, I was already starting to see response from people. I was already getting positive feedback. Anyway, that's a long way of saying I got to, I got the money, you know, most of the money that I needed within about a year and change. Um, we decided about a year out that there was no way we were going to find a space to fit uh comic con in, in that, First, you know, calendar year of the organization from like May of 2016 to May of 2017.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It just, we weren't going to fit anything in. So we were like, we're going to rediscuss at our one year annual meeting the plan for the following year. We got to that point and we we're like, okay, so we need to start looking for venue. And I have very specific venue needs. What I was looking at as far as needs were a small space for um you know, medium space, I should say, for the vendor area, like what we had talked about before, rather than having a full auditorium, I wanted to have between a half dozen to a dozen good diverse tables with different stuff. So there was just enough, you know, for kids to feel like they were having the authentic experience. It was enough so that a parent that had been to comic cons before recognized what it was. Ultimately, that's who I have to sell on these ideas is, Apparently, you know, the kids can't bring themselves <laughs> to these right. things. So uh, I have to, uh, I got to grab that nostalgia a little bit, right. And, and kind of work that to get the parents to bring their kids to it. So beyond that, I also needed a medium size to large size, like auditorium space, because I have a few larger activities. Uh, I have a karate studio in Fitchburg, uh, uh, family martial arts center where my son Logan has been going for years to take karate. Mm-hmm. And they're really good with needs kids as well. So I did get a lot of um, not only a lot of good advice from the folks there. I also got a lot of my hands on people from there as well. The teachers that had taught with, you know, taught kids with needs before. Mm -hmm. And while we were waiting to do the big event, I started to do these separate smaller events. And I would do like I did. The first thing I did was a Star Wars thing, uh, Star Wars training. And with that, what I would do is I would have the first like two thirds of it would be for neurotypical kids because I wanted to see if there were any issues just as an event without putting the sensory stuff into it.
0: That's a good idea.
1: And then I would have a half hour block of time at the end or 45 minutes or whatever, however many people signed up that we would start to work the ideas of how to, you know, move kids around what they could handle the, the kids and the neurodiverse kids that had sensory issues.
0: So you're basically workshopping elements of the con in just in a different space at an earlier time.
1: Yeah, exactly. And in some place where we have ultimate control over that, mm-hmm. because we could clear all the other kids out for the time when the when we needed it sensory friendly. Mm-hmm. We could we could just make the space our own at that time. Because I had spoken to people and because I had talked to, you know, the the paraprofessionals, the hands-on people with the kids. You know, a couple of a couple of things themes emerged for me. Number one. Kind of kids of the same age and size tend to roll better together rather than trying to mix, you know, a lot of, for some activities like hand over hand stuff, it's good to have maybe an older kid there so that they can kind of pair what they're doing so they can, you know, be a peer model for the other kids. Okay. In these types of situations, like things with like swinging lightsabers, uh, doing force pushes, the kids had an easier time of it and were less stimulated if they had other kids the same size around them. At the same, you know, uh, ability levels. So we would, we'd kind of group kids together like that, and we'd have five or six kids, and we'd have one, you know, adult or older teen would lead them from station to station. That teen, or it's usually teenagers that did it. It was usually uh, teen teachers at the karate studio, and they would be in charge of making sure that people got from place to place. Um, If they had to step in to help out, if somebody was having a bit of a hard time just to console a kid or, you know, maybe spread the kids out a little bit because they're on top of each other. We had one person that's, that was their only job there was to kind of keep the peace and make sure the kids were okay.
2: Yeah.
1: Parents were sitting around the perimeter of this space at all times. So a parent could always jump in if they had to, because as you know, you know, we as parents know more about what our kids needs are, but at the same time. We're also can be a little reticent for them to uh, try new things. Cause like, Oh, that for sure is going to set that kid off. Like we, I know he's not going to be able to do that. And then sometimes if you back off a little bit, they'll do things and you'll be like, awesome. Didn't know that that was possible. So there's kind of a dual thing there of, you know, letting them have a little bit of freedom from mom and dad or their professional that's with them helping out. And also, there's a the safety of knowing that they're pretty close by if they need them. And also the, the person that was leading them around was in charge of the time. So that the teachers in each space, like would go from, the, I'll take the Star Wars one because it's the first one we did. They would just use pool noodles as lightsabers at the beginning. Yep. So nobody could hurt each other. And then they would practice like the different forms, you know, like upward block and then side, side, and then, you know. Side slash, down slash, you know, all the, the things that you need to do with a lightsaber. Right. And it's so, it was cool because the kids were, you know, we had very soft, you know, John Williams music playing in the background. So, they <laughs> kind of start, dun, 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 you know, and, but at an appropriate level so that it didn't bother anybody, but it was just, so they would kind of feel like they were in the movie know, they were having the experience. Uh, might've been more for me and the teachers, but, you know, it's, uh, so they would go from that with the pool, noodle, uh, pool noodles, and then they would go to. We had some some say some lightsabers that I got at like the Disney store, mm-hmm. which light up, but they're solid. They're not the extendable ones that you would like get at Walmart generally, right? Because we found trying it out with a few kids, they if they started to have difficulty with getting that thing extended, or if it broke in the middle of when they were using it, if it collapsed, that could just cause its own set of issues. So I found these lightsabers at a Disney store and they were on sale. Thank goodness. <laughs> Whenever I find something on sale, it's great. And so they would, they feel like they had their own lightsabers and we would use, I um, can't remember what I use. I think racquetballs. I spray painted them silver, uh-huh. a couple of different shades. So they look like that little droid that Luke Skywalker practices with yep. um, Falcon and, and New Hope. So for the kids that could handle that, they would practice dodging things and blocking with them and for the smaller kids we had we just got silver balloons at like party city or walmart or somewhere and they got to have the same experience but it was much easier for them because it's just a balloon floating at them it was nice to be able to tailor for the different groups and then they would go on to you know do force pushing which is just you know pretending to be tossed backwards onto a mat and pretending to push somebody out onto a mat right which was kind of a big hit i didn't think it was going to be that big a deal i was trying to fill a space in between there and another space. And it turned out and that carried right over to the con. Like that was one of the biggest things that people loved at the con because we had, you know, a couple of young adults and older kids that would just let the kids push them all day long and they loved it. It was like, oh <laughs> look, I can throw this kid, you know, ten feet backwards. Yep. And I'm I'm watching it and I'm going, Oh, I hope that kid doesn't get a concussion. <laughs> like throwing but, himself backwards. Yeah, but uh, if they're but, falling on mats, it's not Yeah, it's no, it's not like falling under the ground. So but they were really they were really into it, and then the last part of that was a green screen duel with Darth Vader. So we set up a green screen, and so that we could put different backgrounds that we wanted to. They got to choose their background that they wanted. You know, I had to edit the videos together after the fact. We had a we had a system that we couldn't do in real time because, as I say, we were starting from ground zero with this. So we right. didn't have a lot of equipment or anything. So I'm borrowing video cameras and green screens and all that kind of stuff. I put it together myself, edited it myself afterwards, Mm -hmm. and then posted them up so the parents could see it.
0: Well, and the media side of this was really impressive too. Like in addition to having a green screen battle with Darth Vader, you had cosplayers all over the con. There were people taking pictures. You had clearly had professional photography there, just catching people in the hallway. But you also had an entire room devoted to photographs with your favorite superhero. Yep. And you had everyone from Spider-Man to Chewbacca there, which was incredible. And there were kids dressed as Robin. And I saw uh, several Disney princesses who were there. It was awesome. It was really impressive.
1: Yeah, yeah. We had a, we had a really good group um, that came in to help us out. Uh, it was kind of at the last minute because another group that I had had bailed on us. So that was really uh, just the interesting part of that whole thing was within a three-month span, I was offered this venue for free. I was, uh, you know, that was a lifesaver for the organization, to be honest, because we, i spent, you know, what we had raised and what I had sold personally
2: mm-hmm.
1: on all the stuff that we needed. Right. You know, so I had everything that we needed to run this thing, no money left for venue. So that was a, uh, that was amazing. The, the, the church there in Gardner that offered us that space. It was just, like I said, it was just kind of a, you know, kind of a miracle for us. And then through my connections with the con people, I was able to like send it out to Facebook and said, "Hey, do you know any artists or you know vendors that would like to come and do this thing, this first-time thing? We're not going to charge anything for tables because we're not charging anybody coming in. We're getting the venue for free, so I'm not going to charge anybody. Uh, generally, your tables will help pay for the venue, mm-hmm. but since I wasn't paying anything for the venue, I didn't want to charge anybody to come. So." I found people that way. I met you at a resource fair, what, like two weeks before?
0: Yeah, and you had had someone pull out, so there was a table space available.
1: Yeah, someone pulled out, and I'm like, oh, I, I talked to Brendan at this resource fair. And so I reached out to you, and you, you're like, well, yeah, I got some long boxes in you know, <laughs> my garage that I'd like to maybe thin out a little bit, Right. which is great because um, I actually ended up having two people that were going to sell comics there that didn't come. And so you were the only one that I had there that actually were selling selling comics out of, you know.
0: And I was split. I was half the ADHD stuff yeah. and half comics.
1: Yeah, but that, I mean, it worked, man. You know, we had a really, not just, you know, a good size crowd, but just really good, a good mix of people. Like you said, you, you had a bunch of people that signed up, you know, to talk to you about what you do. And the other thing that I learned that, well, I mean, I'm, I have an only child, so I don't really think about this sort of stuff all that much. I mean, I have a lot of nieces and nephews, but, it was amazing to me how many parents I spoke to that were like, "Oh, it was so great that you had somebody there with ADHD services because while my 7-year-old is autistic, my 11-year-old is ADHD."
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so we're dealing with both things in our household and it was just it was just great to have a resource there like that and, you know, and it also opened my eyes to the fact that I'd like to have more, you know, people that do the kind of stuff that you do at the next con because it's not just for the kids it's for families and that's the kind of thing that the parents really connected with
0: i ended up doing a lot of consultations and i didn't charge anybody but i did a lot of like yeah i mean tell me what's going on and we'll we'll navigate those challenges in the five to ten minutes that i have to talk to whoever's there one of the ways i'd like to see comercon evolve i guess would and i'm not sure how to make it happen because it's a little complicated but If there were resources like me who are capable of kind of consulting with parents or even putting on workshops, some informational stuff happening where the kids can kind of go and do their thing. You know, like the kid is doing a lightsaber battle and mom and dad can be probably in the same room, but on the other side of the gym, getting a little information and, and getting some tips. That would be maybe an interesting way to approach something.
1: Well, it, it is interesting because I've actually had kind of that because of our interaction and because of your appearance there, I've kind of had that same thought. I, I think there could be some kind of even just like a standalone event that's kind of like sort of a TED Talk sort of situation where the parents have that space to talk to, you know, professionals about this stuff and to have, you know, uh, yourself and other people that kind of do the stuff that you do, um, be able to do panels. Mm-hmm. And when those parents are in those panels, their kids are still have a place that we can run to take care of them and that's a great idea. stuff. I see that as one offshoot of something that we could do with this. And that's, that's the thing, it's um, you know, I'm going about a week from now, um, my wife and I are gonna be Mr. and Mrs. Incredible and we're gonna just dress up for a sensory friendly showing in one of the local theaters um, because they're starting a program to do sensory appropriate showings of movies. And I think that's really great. Uh, we don't have enough of that. It would it would have been nice to be able to, instead of having to worry about, are the headphones going to make my son feel awkward? Is his tablet going to make me get kicked out of a theater?
2: <laughs> you know, that's <laughs> stuff,
1: uh, stuff I never thought I would run into, you know, rather than having to always see things at home first, you know, there's a certain joy in going to the theater and the smell of the popcorn and the soda and all that stuff. And it's, maybe in a tacit way, but it, it, that's still a form of social socialization, right? You're getting out of the house. You're being around other people. People might say, Hey, I like your Spider-Man shirt and trying to make eye contact. And the more you do that, the better it is, you know, for, Mm -hmm. for uh, like my son, Logan, I mean, that's great. The more that people do that with him, it doesn't force him to do anything, but it gives him an opportunity to reciprocate. Right. To, kind of being comfortable in a comfortable space when he's doing that.
0: And that's what Comic-Con does. That gives kids with neurodiverse needs the opportunity to engage socially, the opportunity to to share a passion that they don't always get to share. The opportunity to feel like they don't have to worry about what someone is going to think about them and are am I going to be judged because I like SpongeBob SquarePants or are people not going to like the fact that I love Pikachu? Like, no, everyone there likes the stuff that you like. Like, you can go and be dressed as Pikachu or go there with your Captain America backpack or whatever, and you're not going to get made fun of, and you don't have to be on guard and worry that someone might judge you because everybody there is doing the same thing. That's huge. That's enormous.
1: You Luckily, the way that we had things set up too, like all of you folks that were in the kind of the vendor area kind of got to see into where the uh, where the photo booth was. Yep. I mean, that was awesome. One of the best things I saw the whole day was a young man. I don't know. He must have been six or seven years old. And he was very, very frightened of Chewbacca, uh, you know, in person. Like, he loved Star Wars. He loved – and just nobody forced him to do anything, but the guy that was dressed up as Chewbacca there, he just – he stood there for a long time with his fist out. Like, just in for a fist bump, bro. Like, if you (laughs) want to do it, and the kid, like, kind of circled him – and he kind of, you know, really slowly crept up and finally gave him a fist bump, and I, you know, this great smile, right? The kid's like, "Yay, I did it! I'm not okay. scared of Chewbacca anymore," you know, and just just little things like that. And that's, I mean, that's stuff that happens at other comic cons too, you know. That it's a very inclusive um, kind of society, and that's the other part of what you know made me want to gravitate towards doing that as an event, because you know, nerds are pretty welcoming of other nerds. It's it's. uh It's kind of very hard. I've seen a lot of great, you know, you know, stuff around that in my time where, you know, there's people that normally might not even have anything to do with one another, but they both dress up up as different versions of Deadpool and they walk (laughs) past past each other at a con and they're like, Hey, and the other guy's like, Hey, Deadpool, you know, there's a human connection there that otherwise wouldn't happen.
0: I was walking through the woods one day and I saw a guy with a Deadpool shirt on and I was wearing a Wolverine t-shirt. (laughs) <laughs> and I just yelled to him I was like my marvel psychopaths better than your marvel psychopath. And we had a little laugh and we kept moving on and
1: <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really neat when you uh <laughs> when you uh, meet you're literally in the wild for you.
2: <laughs> yeah, meet,
1: meet another nerd, you know, in the <laughs> wild somewhere. You know, and, and the pervasiveness of like superhero culture into pop culture, you know, uh sci-fi and superhero stuff, nerd culture is pop culture now. Right. You know, it didn't it wasn't that when I was a kid.
0: No, uh, me neither.
1: <laughs> I, I felt very much on the fringe um, yeah. and it, it's always interesting to me to see people online that are like, Hey, I'm so excited. And you where me and my kids are going to, you know, the latest Avengers movie. And I'm like, you beat me up for reading comic books when I was in <laughs> like, what, where, where was this then? You know, I could, we could have, instead of you beating me up, we could have just talked about, you know, uh, why Wolverine's Canadian or, you know, with something right. like uh Fan casting because before all these movies started coming out, like who would you have play Professor X? Right, all that sort of stuff. So that's the nice thing too. I think these parents they feel like they can engage in this sort of stuff with their kids, even if they originally weren't into it. They might say, you know, you you take in the stuff, right? You you mentioned SpongeBob earlier. Not a huge fan, gonna be honest. (laughs) Big fan of SpongeBob, but I've been around it for so many years that you know, I kind of appreciate that it is what it is. And if I saw it, I wouldn't punch anybody if they had a SpongeBob shirt on, you know, <laughs> it's, it's just, I think, you know, this notion of acceptance kind of fits into just everything in life. Right. So, you know, those of us that we have special needs kids, we're always kind of, it's not just acceptance. We also want understanding, but that's kind of the human condition. And I think our need to seek that out for our kids kind of speaks to the, that human condition in all of us. You know, we, we want our kids to have as much, uh, you know, a standard human type experience as possible, no matter what their challenges are or what their other gifts are. That's kind of the basis of what I wanted to, to tap into when I started this.
0: Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.